My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to have brown and red hair. Now I have brown, red, and blue hair. Ooh. I actually Ooh. haven't seen this. It's because you don't watch my Instagram stories because you're not a good friend. I mean, this is true. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or just wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, you should just know. <laughs> yeah, th- like we're in season three, guys. I, it would be really weird if this was your first episode. But if it is, hi, welcome, and if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind unless it's about Bree's hair at <laughs> burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com. That's burnnoticed with a D like our name as opposed to burn notice the name of the show. Or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. So this episode, Question and Answer, aired on June 11th, 2009. It was written It was uh, written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. and directed by John T. Kretschmer. So we're in old, if not necessarily safe, hands. Yeah, I mean, so what is your opinion, Nix versus Barrios? Because obviously they're very similar in a lot of ways, and they like they very like they write the most episodes of the show, um, and are clearly very much on the same page and have similar sort of like old timey traditional understandings of what makes a man and what makes you know what like morality and stuff like that. But I feel Barrios like is- as ham fisted as Barrios is, I feel like he's a slightly better plotter. Yeah, I think he's not a great plotter. Barrios is better at writing television than Matt Nix. He's no Jason Tracy. His plots are always coherent. Yeah. And, like, they usually have some kind of, like, very basic bitch morality. But, like, at least it's a cohesive story. Yes, I agree. The premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is it's Michael's birthday. But he and Sam are busy performing a dangerous reverse interrogation to find the location of a kidnapped boy. It's a funny kidnapped that they... boy, you say? <laughs> a boy. And an episode written by Alfredo's Bar... Alfredo oh, yeah, that's Jr. true. Alfredo Barrios Jr. loves it when kids are missing. Um, <sighs> Fucking people getting kidnapped. It's, it's funny that they make Michael's birthday the start of that sentence because it feels like it was an afterthought in the episode. Okay, here's my For thing a second, about this. when it got brought up, I didn't even realize it was his birthday they were talking about. I thought it might be like Madeline's or like someone else's birthday. Like it was brought up so bizarrely and so casually and no one really remarks upon it in like specifics no. that it did confuse me until we got to a scene where Madeline's like, he's going to miss his own birthday party that I was like, oh, okay, it is Michael's birthday because <laughs> yeah. it was not made clear. It's very confusing what Madeline has planned. Yeah. Because sometimes she's like, it's a dinner. Sometimes she's like, it's a party. Eventually we see it and it's just these, like, these four people. So it's not a party. It's also, speaking of that, we'll get to a thing about this episode that I have later in a minute. (laughs) Okay. Uh, In fact, you know what? I just want to get in the weeds. Let's get in the weeds. Yeah. Get, Get right in there. All right. We start the episode with Michael having a fun jog. 
and he arrives at his apartment to find Fee with a big, burly, bald bail jumper named Bud. Yep. And Fee is just killing time with Bud, waiting for the bail bondsman's office to open. Because it's very early in the morning. <laughs> and she's killing time by throwing knives. Although it doesn't matter that it's... Anyway. It does matter that she's throwing knives because it's a no, very No, it matters that she's scene. throwing knives. It doesn't matter that it's early in the morning. Um, well, it matters that it's early in the morning because that's why the the bald bail jumper named Bud is there. It's because yeah. the Bond's office isn't open. And so Bud's got to go somewhere. Barely. Bud's got to be somewhere, Chris. Yeah. And, and Sophie asks Michael if he wants to help her chase bail jumpers, but he's not on board. I guess this is a little bit of a continuation maybe of you don't have to be a spy, but in a not terribly interesting way. And then as best as I can tell, they both get super horny <laughs> and decide that it's time to get rid of Bud. As if they could have left at any time, but it wasn't until they had like a, we got a fuck on the brain that they decided maybe we can just wait outside the bail bondsman's office to like get in first. So there's not a line. Like what? But that is right. That like, is, am I correct in my reading of that scene that they looked at each other, got super horny, and were like, "We need a fuck," but Bud is here. I feel like it was there, Bud said something kind of off color, and Michael was like, "All right, Bud, it's time to go." I wasn't sure. Is that what it was? Because like, I the think way I think he felt talking... like cause I think he I think he said something vaguely like sexual to them. And, like, maybe it was that they were horny and then Bud got horny and they were like, mm, this is too many people being horny in this apartment right now. There's a very strict limit on how many people can be horny in this apartment. That's and when kind of, Sam that's kind of was living here, we were over that <laughs> limit constantly. <laughs> Whenever Sam was here, one of us has to leave. Anyway, so they're getting rid of Bud. So they walk out, walk outside the apartment and waiting for them outside the apartment are... A couple of police detectives, one who doesn't matter, and then yeah, one. We, we named... even straight up forget his name later. Yes, and then one um, who is named Paxson, not Paxton. Paxson, no T. Not Paxson, like the store at the mall either. It's a different spelling of Paxson. It's a whole thing. Um, this is a detective, but also is a lady, a hot lady. Yeah, and a very progressive lady. She says, "I'm as progressive as the next person." But this is a lady, and she is looking into Michael because he's done everything. Basically, yeah, she mentions, like, all of the stuff that got has gotten blown up at the end of last season, and just in general that, you know how things tend to explode in Miami all the time? <laughs> I think you're involved in that. Here's something you, that was interesting. I think you two do that. <laughs> yeah, that that tracks. No, so here's something that I thought was interesting. So they've gone from not knowing who Michael Weston is to all of a sudden her saying something to the effect of like, since you arrived in Miami, things have been blowing up a lot. And it's like, how do you know when he got to Miami? How could you possibly have pinpointed that based on the information that we understand you to have? The implication that I have is that I feel like this woman has been on the Michael Weston train Beat. for a while. Like, it's this guy, and she's been getting shut down every corner, and now she has the latitude to say it. I think she has a fucking, like, serial murder killer wall. wall. Murder wall, <laughs> yeah. And, like, and she's, for the last, like, two years, has been staring at it. 
I wish, and that would have been fun, but they don't actually explore that at all. She just sort of appears out of nowhere. Once again, we're inventing all of this history where we could have seen some of it, and nope. No, she then takes Bud because Fee doesn't have a bounty hunter license, which it seems like she should have a bounty hunter license. Yeah, it feels like such a low bar to, like, be able to do this legally. And it's like, is it, it the implication that I got from that is that Fee is just, like, too good to play by the rules. But, like, that I wasn't make sure sense. if, like, just she has, like, a history and she can't be on on the books. It wasn't. And it then it I'm felt like she just, like, is, decided not to question. do it. Here's a question. Is Fee in America legally... Have we established this? I don't think we have. I th- well, here here's what I think. I think that Fiona has a green card marriage that is just never brought up and because nobody knows about it. But in like season five, she and Michael are gonna get really close, and then all of the sudden, it's he's gonna like propose propose to her, and she's gonna be like, "I have something to tell you." <laughs> the only reason, like, have you never thought about why I'm in this country? But like. I'm not from this country and they're just like letting me chill here even though I have no legal employment. It's because I married this man. And then Michael will be like, hey, you remember when you got mad at me for being engaged (laughs) once? And she's like, yeah, but you were emotionally connected to her. That doesn't count. And he's like, we have to kill this man. And she's like, okay. Okay. And then them and Seymour plan a murder and then they murder this man brutally and we see Michael dripping with his blood and he's shaking and Fiona is shaking and Fiona is horny and Michael is also horny and Michael kneels down into the pool of blood from her green card husband's uh, murder scene and pulls out a ring box and they (sighs) fuck right there. I think that's what's going to (laughs) happen. That's my prediction. I'm putting that out there. That is my prediction for season five of Burn Notice. I will say about this scene that we're talking about now, though, (laughs) that this actress is terrible. Yeah, she's not great. And it's too bad because she's very pretty. Yeah. And like, (laughs) but she's so bad. She cannot sell any of this. She has to be intimidating. And she never, not once is. Yeah, like, she doesn't see. She seems like someone who would be like a fun, like romantic comedy, either lead or like quirky best friend character. She cannot I pull mean, off like hard boiled cop. She is kind of a Jennifer Garner brunette. The roles that you would cast Jennifer Garner in, you could cast her in, which kind of gives the whole thing a very low rent, like straight to DVD or like softcore porn vibe. Yeah, I would say that. Alfredo Barrios Jr. would be so mortified to hear you say that, though. Yeah. But also kind of turned on, and he's very uncomfortable with that. Alfredo Barrios Jr. is like uh, Frollo from Punchback. (laughs) Oh, God, he is. And it's a shame. I don't remember how long this detective is around for. I think for at least, like, the first quarter of the season like this is this is they set her up as like a runner and i feel like i recognize her to the extent that it means she's been in at least a couple of episodes she is no trisha helfer she really isn't and it's it's still a shame that trisha helfer was done so dirty because she could have been a fun character but they gave her nothing to work with absolutely nothing at least now we have an actress who is good at doing nothing or like or not as good at doing nothing but like (laughs) Can rise to the level Can of Can only do nothing. Yes. Um, so she takes Michael in. And he goes and back to jail. we don't see anything. 
Yeah, he goes back to jail, but we don't see him in jail. Like, no. that's just over. But, like, so last week he went to jail overnight. And then he went to jail again overnight. So he gets out of jail again. Now, here's something that I want to point out now. And I, I want to keep track of. Because one of the things that I, I don't think about a lot on burn notice is the timeline. How much time has passed, how much things are happening, etc. Sure. But there was a moment that I was watching this episode when I realized, I am pretty sure after this point, after he gets out of the drunk tank, everything that happens in this episode happens within a day. Hmm. Uh, as you recap it, I'll have to pay attention to that. And yeah, because... And if so, that's kind of wild. But Actually, I, now that I'm thinking about it, because like I watched this episode just a couple hours ago, that does sound right to me. No, because like the main conceit is centered around a so, single interrogation, which yeah, just happens. Everything over the of a couple in hours. this episode happens in a day. A lot of it in almost real time, but all of this happens in one day, and it gets wild towards the end. It really uh, does. All right, so fee. Gets Michael out of jail and then is pissed because Detective Paxson took her, like, bail money, like, her pay, so now she needs a new job. And since Michael, by being a spy, cost her her old job, he has to help with this job. But it's fine because it's not a bail jumper job because Michael doesn't want to do any bail jumper jobs. He's above that. And also, he doesn't want to work. Well, also, he remembers what happens la- happened last time when he was, like, fully, like run over by the mountain of a man that she hunted the last time. This is true. And she wasn't hunting anyway. him, I guess. He was a competing hunter. I don't want anyone to think I wasn't paying attention. I was. I just don't care. Yes. This is, but still, <laughs> it's fair. The job is a woman named Patricia. And I will. I also want to say real quickly about the casting of this episode. Whoever's job it was, the casting director, to find actors to play a woman named Patricia a man named Howard and a boy named Brandon, they nailed it. <laughs> uh, oh, can I also say, so I, when I was watching this episode, I don't always pay attention to like who the writer is when it's your episode. Cause I know that you'll just tell me, but I was watching this episode and I was just kind of curious cause it was the first two episodes I was watching for this season. And it was in this scene where we meet Patricia that the writer is displayed. And this is important because I saw Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s name right as she was talking about how she and her husband are um, like separated. And I was like, they're going to be fucking together by the end of this episode. They, I know. They are. Spoiler I know alert, they are. Alfredo Barrios Jr. I know what his morality is. And I know that this estranged couple is going to come together over the trauma of their kidnapped son. And they're going to be together by the end of the episode. And like, I knew it clearer than anything else that I had ever known just, in my life. Because I saw his fucking name. at this name. moment had a moment of transcendence and clarity. And you saw your whole life ahead of you. The whole world lay out, and you knew how it was going to go, and you saw it, and it was okay. No, it wasn't okay, because that's so basic. Like, some people are just so a basic. bad couple. A kid getting kidnapped should not be the cement of your no, marriage. No, it shouldn't be. It should not. But, like, oh, God. But that's the kind of, um, like, basic bitch morality that Alfredo Barrios Jr. fucking loves. Exactly. He, he slurps that right up, and he yeah. forces us to uh, slurp it, too. Anyway, so there's 
Patricia, who looks like she's Dame Patricia, whose brother was a bail jumper, and that's how she knows Fee. And her husband, Which Howard, I did like. That was funny. That was funny yeah. that, like, somebody that Fee has sent to jail, like, called his sister and was like, oh, you're having trouble? Like, get Fiona. She was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I did enjoy that. Her husband, Howard, they're living in separate places. They're not together. Howard has her son, and Howard has not let her see her son for three days. And the cops can't do anything about it. And she just wants someone to beat the shit out of him. This woman is violent. (laughs) Well, it's because she doesn't have a strong male influence in her house anymore. This woman is incredibly violent. She just wants people to, like, beat up everyone she doesn't like. And so she's hired the right people because Fee loves that shit. While this conversation is happening, because it's happening at their regular, like, lunch spot, Sam arrives in his new sugar mommy car and tells Michael that he's looked into Paxson and she means business. It, he does say something like she's been stalking him almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's she like, call, Mike, you don't just call, have a cop on your tail. You've got a stalker. Exactly. Which does kind of imply that this has been a thing that she's doing for a bit at least. Um, she means business and she's looking for everything of Michael's, including a storage facility, a storage unit where it turns out Michael has a lot of C4. And Michael needs to get all of this C4 out of the storage unit before she can get a warrant. Yep. And so that's also happening. He also whines that he doesn't get lunch. Yeah, he does whine that he doesn't get lunch. And uh, let's keep track. So again, (laughs) same day, he got out of the drunk tick, they talked to Patricia. This is also happening on this day. Yeah, and this is one of those episodes where it starts, they they think that the job's going to be pretty straightforward. It's like a fee-sam job that they bring to Michael. Like, listen, it's going to be low-key. We just got to go shake somebody down. We just got to go acquire a thing like whatever yeah um so they arrive at howard's house and the yard is overgrown and then like patricia's like typical he works 80 hours a week and he can't find an hour to take care of his yard which like maybe he can't take care of his yard because he works 80 hours a week did she say 80 hours she said 80 hours i'm pretty that's sure. a, i mean she's that's... exaggerating the here's the thing Here's that's, the problem, Brie. The reason the their marriage direction. isn't working is because she thinks he works too hard. She doesn't like his job. And that's bad for their marriage that she doesn't like it. So she resents his job and resents that, like, he cares too much about it or something. And he won't do, like, yard work. She's real pissed about it. So Fee and Patricia go to knock on Howard's door. Well, while Michael takes a phone call, he's not even involved. Like, they make a point of getting Michael. And then when this shit actually goes down, he, he gets a phone call. And he's like, I'm going to stay in the car. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. We got this. He gets a phone call from Madeline, who lets us know that today is his birthday. It's Michael's birthday. You heard it here, folks. June 11th, the, the date that this episode went out, is Michael Weston's birthday. Put that in your calendar so when the time comes, you can eat a yogurt for Mike. We should do that. We should definitely here. I'm going to put it in our calendar right now that on June 11th, we will eat yogurt for Michael. Exactly. And as we established last week, I do not like yogurt. So it will be a fun day you know for what, me. You know what's fun is that June 11th is actually the day that I moved to New York City. So this June 11th will be my sixth anniversary of living in New York City. And it will also be Michael Weston's birthday. So now I have two reasons to celebrate. Exactly. Put a little beer in your yogurt. <laughs> it's good this way. <laughs> anyway, so Madeline really wants him and Fee 
and maybe Sam, but she's probably still mad at Sam on account of, like, Sam saved her life by blowing her house up. But she's mad yeah, about that. But anyway, she wants Michael and Fee to come home for dinner tonight. That night. Again, time frame. Yeah, also, like, there has been no plan. So here's there's a couple of things that made this confusing to me. Like, and the reason that I didn't quite realize at first that it is Michael's birthday. Because, like, she doesn't even say, like, it's your birthday we should celebrate. It's just, like, or maybe she does, but it's, like, cloud another bullshit. But so, okay, a couple of things. One. No, I watched this a couple of, times. The lateness of the the invitation is confusing to me for Madeline. The fact that uh, Fiona hasn't done anything weird is confusing. Like, it feels like everyone would have been making a bigger deal about this much earlier. And Here's what I think. Does Fee know please. what his birthday is? I feel like that's a thing that she would have wanted to know. Like, he knows when her birthday is, and she made a big... Do they made a big deal about it when it was her birthday? Maybe. Do you think he was just like, no, you don't get to know my birthday? I feel like she would have... I'm too much of a spy for that. Point. I feel like... And, like, when... But, see, here's the thing. No, is that Fee would have, like... Fee would have found his file. Yeah, exactly. Well, and my thing is that when she's later at Madeline's, like, I feel like if she had not known that it was his birthday, she would have, oh, like, this, been yeah, pissy I know, about it. I know. Like... I just think everything happens in twenty four in one day. I think I think it's his birth it's his birthday. She says, Happy birthday, Michael, it's your birthday. And then Michael's like, We do birthdays. It's like, well now we do birthdays. You guys should come for dinner. She doesn't necessarily say dinner tonight, but I believe that's implied. Yeah, I guess. A lot of things are implied. It just it just feels weird that no one else has said anything. Fiona yeah, like, least of all. It feels weird that Sam does I think what Sam probably thinks that Michael doesn't care about birth. I think Michael's probably made a stink in the past that he doesn't care about birthdays because he never got birthdays when he was a kid. And that's not a thing that I think Sam would have cared about. So, like, that's fair. But I do not buy that Fiona Glennan wouldn't have made, like, a big whopping deal as a joke. Like, as mostly a bit, but also not a bit because as she loves Michael Weston so much. I mean, yes. In a... In a version of this episode that understands its characters better, yes. But that's not the world we're living in. We're living in this world, in Barrios' <sighs> world. Well, what's happening while Michael's on the phone making uh, birthday plans? Let's see. What is happening? Um, yeah, Madeline makes him promise to come over that night to celebrate his birthday, which he, which he agrees to. I'd say he reluctantly agrees to it, but it's Michael Weston, so the reluctantly is implied. <laughs> then what as this conversation is happening michael sees howard make a run for it outside the back of his house and so he chases howard down in his car knocks him out over with his like si- like his driver's side door and uh, chases howard gets out grabs howard who informs michael that brandon their son has been checks the right of the episode yeah it's bariosep kid's been kidnapped <laughs> and this the, the the guy that plays Howard is like a pretty famous character actor. Is he really? He, I didn't recognize him. Oh, really? I re- he was the only one I recognized. Hang on, let me pull up his his IMDb. I recognize the bad guy. Oh yeah, the, that's another thing. When we introduced the bad guy, it was very confusing because he's a guy who is uh he's the FBI agent, uh, the older one from... In Mindhunter. Um, 
from Mindhunter. Yeah. So he and he and that's not just the only show that he's like the he's he's almost always a good guy cop. Like in everything yeah. I've ever seen him in, he's a good guy cop. And in this, he's like this weird, dirty criminal, and it does not feel right. Like in every scene, I'm like, I, I think know he's you're good, a good at it. Guy. I think he sells Stop it because like he's a good. A- I like him a lot. He, you know, he's I like a great him actor. in Mindhunter. He's for he's sure. He's like a great the actor. best part of Mindhunter. Mindhunter is a show that is shot like it's a good television show, but it's just a mediocre one. But he is very good at it. Uh, yeah, no. Matt Winston is has Matt Winston is the character actor that I'm talking about. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in, uh, he was the epi, the pageant MC in Little Miss Sunshine. Um, oh, okay. He uh, he was in Two Broke Girls. He was in. Um, what else? In he this episode, in Castle. He was in. He was in. He was. Oh, that's where he's from. He's Doctor Stedman in Scrubs. Got it. Speaking. Do you of, know who Doctor Stedman is? I. He's the guy he's, who looks like this. No, he's he? yeah, he's he's the JD's resident, like mm. the one that's supposed to be familiar. his Doctor Cox before. Like he's yeah. he's the one that's like when you first meet him, the inner monologue is "I'm a tool, I'm a tool, I'm an incredibly large tool." That's right. I think in this episode, I I didn't recognize him because he looks really Ed Nortony in this episode. Yeah, he has he has that like Ed Nortony, especially from like Hulk and Fight Club days look. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's been he's a pretty like frequent character. Okay, that's why. Neat. But yeah, so it turns out kid's been kidnapped. It also turns out Howard works for a diamond manufacturer. He works with diamond people and his son was kidnapped by diamond thieves in order to get an upcoming diamond shipment. And they told Howard that if he doesn't give them the info on the shipment or if he calls the cops, they will kill his son, Brandon. Patricia is reasonably upset that she has not been informed that her son was kidnapped by kidnappers three it's, days ago. <laughs> it's very upsetting. I do have to say, though, this is a much cleaner episode. Dad yes. works for diamond shipment. Kid kidnapped because bad guys want diamonds. Done. Yeah, no, That's all Alfredo we fucking Barrios need. is nothing if not clean. <laughs> a little too clean if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Patricia's upset. She's even more upset when Michael points out that Brandon has seen the kidnappers' faces, and so they will almost certainly kill Brandon anyway. Well, he's kidnapped, and it's a Barrios episode. Yeah, like, exactly. if the kid, if you don't think the, the kidnappers are going to kill your kid, then why would you be worried? Like, hey, exactly. free boarding school. These are crime men. They're bad. <laughs> so Michael and Fee assure the couple that they can save Brandon, but the couple can't keep fighting the whole time because they spend the whole scene arguing. And they're like, you got to, like, be together. The nuclear family. So Michael has Howard arrange a meet with a kidnapper while Michael, Fee, and Patricia watch. Sam is also watching, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Patricia is again reasonably angry at Howard for allowing this to happen, but then focuses more on, like, the fact that he got this job and she's so, like, angry because they they worked at the same office and then he got a promotion and now there's more work and she's more upset about this because that's the problem in their marriage and not any sort of fundamental problem in their relationship or anything nothing that can't be solved in a day (sighs) and then fee has a fun bit where she tries to help patricia calm down by having patricia imagine murdering the kidnapper which is nice (laughs) yeah that is a very fun thing actually so here's something i want to say is that uh there's a lot of really fun jeffrey donovan like face moments in this episode like there's a lot of moments where like somebody will do something and he'll just go like 
Like his face will do a little thing and it's really fun. So like when Fiona's like, here, I'm going to take you through a breathing exercise I do to calm down. And Michael's like not paying attention to them because he's like, cool, women do meditation. And then she's like, you're drowning your kidnapper in the pool. And all of a sudden, like Michael just like gives this little like, um. No, yeah, uh, Jeffrey Donovan's good there. He's, I have and, some and thoughts about Jeffrey a- Donovan's face later. <laughs> well, but there's another we get, moment that I don't we will remember get specifically. There. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe we're thinking of the same thing. But he he does a couple of little like face journey moments in this episode that I yes. felt were really good comic timing, and I very much enjoyed. I like when Michael Weston is like the just sort of vaguely confuddled straight man, like exactly. just like is having a good time, but doesn't isn't confident enough in his own comic abilities to really join in. And like I think that's my like, favorite yeah. Michael Weston. The He's just sort is, of good natured. The best version of like this kind of character is Angel on Angel. <laughs> and so whenever you can get this character to be the most like Angel, that's the best version of it. We spent a lot of time on this Burn Notice podcast talking about Angel and how similar it is to Angel. Angel's a good television show. It is a good television show. All right. So, yeah. Then the kidnapper arrives and his name is Santora, but he's played by the whole uh, Mac Allen, which Mindhunter guy, which... Again, Mindhunter, he's really good on Mindhunter. He is really good. Not a, not a good television show. I mean, I enjoy it. But it, it makes it's like, you it think scratches it is. A very, well, it scratches a very specific itch, and I don't think it's doing anything particularly groundbreaking. I agree. I watched but, two seasons of it. If yeah, and I will watch more, a third. I would watch it. They are making more. I think they're definitely making a season three. I thought they it got canceled or something. Oh, really? Well, we oh, know very different things. Hang on. Now I want to know. Mindhunter has not been renewed for a third season, and it's been put on hold while director David Fincher works on other projects. Okay. But it was previously reported that Fincher had five seasons mapped out for Mindhunter. So it's like on hiatus at best. Cool. Um, so well, Centaur arrives um, and beats the shit out of Howard because he's a mm-hmm. bad guy. And then Howard doesn't crack because he's a good salt of the earth dude who cares about his family in the face of this vile crime man. <laughs> Here's the thing about Howard. Unnuanced. Like the thing about Howard in this episode is that his wife hates him because he <laughs> works so hard. The one thing that he does wrong, which is admittedly a bad thing, is his son gets kidnapped and he doesn't tell his wife about it for 3 days. And that is bad. But he spends the rest of the episode just being, like, the best man. Mm-hmm. Well, he has to earn back her love so that they can be together and be a proper nuclear family by the end of the episode. So, yeah, he is just, like, this good, pure man who stands well, up. He's to, filled like, with righteous, like, anger. Isn't one of the spy tips about this particular moment? Like, so, you is. know, you, if you're working with an amateur, like, they might be a wild card. But sometimes if a person is motivated enough by justice or whatever it says, like, they'll have they'll ice the in right their thing. veins. Yeah, That's yeah, exactly. Says. A normal man will have ice in his veins. Jesus, Barrios. Yeah. Come on. God, so, like, yeah. Yeah. Centaura. Uh, Beats the shit out of him a few times and tells him he's got 24 hours to get the stones or Brandon dies. Now, this is confusing to me because earlier in the episode, it made it sound like he wanted info on a shipment. Now it kind of makes it sound like he wants him to give him diamonds. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But this <laughs> it's, plot he wants was diamonds, confusing to me. And this man can give him diamonds. Otherwise, his kid will die. <laughs> Howard is a road to diamonds. Exactly. So Sam follows Centaura, but he never goes anywhere near the kid because he knows enough what he's doing to, like, compartmentalize. Uh, Patricia 
wants to waterboard him. <laughs> they're back at the apartment. If I remember correctly, they're back at the apartment. Patricia's like, let's waterboard him. She wants to physically assault everyone. Well, Fee did put like, it in her head to, like, drown a man in a pool. Yes. Michael reminds... But then Michael reminds us that torture doesn't work. So then Michael decides that they need to do a reverse interrogation, which means having Michael get interrogated by this guy in order to figure out what Santora is worried about. Sam doesn't like this idea, but Michael wants to do it. I There's an interesting thing about this show and about procedural shows. Oftentimes they have to, they have the same problem they need to solve, but for some reason have to solve it in a different way. Right, because it can't just be the same episode over and over again. Exactly. The thing is, and so, like, we have seen this same basic plot many times now because Barrios writes a lot of these, but it has to be, they have to have a different strategy than the same time, than the last time a kid got kidnapped. But there's no, like, reason why this week they have to do a reverse interrogation. Like, Sam doesn't want to do it. Like, there's no reason why he can't just pretend to be part of the the kidnappers or pretend to be, like, a diamond guy or pretend to be a buyer or any of the other things that they always do on this show every time. Why is it this week that they have to do a reverse interrogation? Because it's happening all in one day. And they I don't have like time to do then, the tomfoolery of fake diamond man. I mean, yes. But it's just, it's not necessarily a problem in this episode uh, inherently. or an, But it's a consequence of this kind of television show. It doesn't have to be, though. Like, I watch so many of these crime procedurals. And... It's not that hard to come up with other stuff to happen. Barrios just has a kidnapped kid kink. I mean, yes, but the thing, even on shows that do this better, it's still, you kind of feel this thing. I don't think it's a problem unique to the show. Meanwhile, they decide they're going to do this reverse interrogation thing. And so while Sam sets it up, again, he's going to take a couple hours to set this up. We are now a little bit later in the day, but it is the same day. Right. At no point well, has anyone been it, like... Yeah, that we can wait until tomorrow. I do think that it was brought up while uh, what's his face was getting righteously beat the fuck up. That like he has limited time to get. Yeah, no, twenty four hours. Yeah. No, yeah, they have twenty four hours. Like there is a bit of a ticking clock, but the thing is, the show, every bad guy says that. I know there's been multiple episodes where there's been a kidnapping and Michael has to buy more time. That's true. That does happen like every other episode. Exactly. So I never take ticking clocks that seriously on this show. But this week we do, apparently. But while Sam is preparing, Fee and Michael go to the storage unit where Michael keeps his C4. And as soon as he arrives, and not one second earlier, does it occur to Michael that this storage unit that he knows that Detective Paxson knows about might be staked out by Detective Paxson? Yeah, that pissed me off, too. I was like... Michael, are you fucking serious? You think, oh, we don't have a warrant yet. I guess we'll just, like, leave this alone for a couple of weeks until we get one. Exactly. Or how long, however long it takes to get a warrant, because that matters. But sure enough, there it is. De- Detective Paxson just walks right up. It's yeah, like, she's hey. there herself. She's not she's taking out herself. any of his other properties that he she knows about. She is at that one. Yep. And I don't know if she has a guy tailing him or something. It could be that, like... Yeah, but she is there 
herself, just like, we're just going to keep hanging out here. If you want to take stuff out of there, you can. But, you know, if it's evidence, that would be a problem. And again, the actress, bless her heart, is not selling any of this. But they, they can't get the C4 out. Sam dresses up and pretends to be a dirty cop who pulls over Santora and makes him a deal. Uh, Sam has got this informant named Shep, like the fucking Three Stooges. <laughs> he's got Shep. He's kind of, Shep is kind of an asshole, but he's a good informant. And he's heard that someone is planning to rip Santora off. Someone is planning to steal from Santora during this heist, this diamond heist or whatever. And that for like a couple grand... Sam will let Santora interrogate this guy before he has to take him in to the police station. The fact that he knows that a kid is involved is what sells it. Santora is like suddenly worried now, like, oh, fuck, what's going on? Is someone going to steal my shit? Meanwhile. Wait, hang on. We can't move on because I just looked up the actress for uh, Paxson because I was curious. Uh Her name is Moon Bloodgood. Moon. Wait, I know that name. What else has she done? Okay, so she's in uh, NCIS Los Angeles, Falling Skies, Terminator Salvation, the Machinima t- series, uh, Journeyman, Daybreak. She was in Monk for one episode. Pathfinder. I feel like one of these things it could have been. I may have seen an episode or two. With I think it's just I've heard that name and you never forget that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Moon Bloodgood. Three sets of double O's. Uh, so she she's in three episodes of Burn Notice confirmed. Um, got it. And wait, no, there's a there's something else. So she has a bunch of personal quotes on her IMDb page, and all of them are hilarious. But my favorite one is, wait, where did it go? Girls know when they're attractive. End of quote. Ha. Fucking Christ. Uh, oh, wait, no. Here's another good quote from Moon Bloodgood. I try to be a good, comma, diligent actor. End of oh. quote. Another one. Oh. I never oh, wanted boy. to be an actor. Another quote. I love people who are real. Another. I love science fiction. Like, it's just sentences that this woman has said. That's not a quote, IMDb. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I have always been into sports and being physical. What is this? It's just quotes on her IMDb page. It sounds like her Tinder profile. With global warming, I'm never going to time travel. It's probably going to cause some major emission problems. Wait, what? (laughs) I don't know, Chris. It's the end of the quote. (laughs) That was such a left turn at the end (laughs) because I thought like, I'm not going to, I thought the thing that she was saying is that like, I don't want to go to the future because it'll be ruined by global warming. But she's like, no, I don't want to time travel because time travel machines probably cause global warming. Hang on. This is, there's a bad quote here too. Although it's almost certainly very much out of context. Quote, I don't know why I've always been uncomfortable being too feminine. If a dress has too many flowers on it, if I'm giggling too much, I'm like, ugh, put some combat boots on. I love masculine woman. I think it's because I'm like a fake lesbian. I don't know. Jesus. (laughs) Oh, boy. I was 
I was going to say that we were ragging on Moon Blonde good too much. But now. I'm sure that's. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, she's, boy. She also used to be engaged to a guy who's from a show that I think we both watch. But let me find it really quick. <laughs> uh, his name is Eric Balfour, if that rings any bells. No, uh, no. I, I know I've heard the name, but I. He, I think it's just, I saw a cast list for Terminator Salvation. Yeah, he's and... Jesse from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's, I, he's 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 like the narrow-faced high schooler. He, it was in oh, I know like... who Jesse is. Okay, you know who Jesse is. Yeah, so he that's from who she the pilot used to be of Buffy the Vampire to. Slayer? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Fee goes to Madeline's to tell Madeline that Michael can't come to his birthday party, which is a party now. It was dinner before. But now she's saying it's a party. And Michael is busy doing other stuff, so he can't do this. Madeline is pissed. She tells Fee to tell Michael that he has to come. It's Even weird to me that, that she would that Fiona wouldn't mention, hey, there's like a kid that's been kidnapped and we're helping out. Because they've done the that before. Is, and Madeline's been like, oh, okay, yeah, definitely do that. But the whole time, too, she's like, what's he doing? Something with guns? She knows he's doing something dangerous. She knows he's doing some sort of, like, gun thing. And also, she knows what he does. Yeah, she's, so, like, he's helped enough of her friends at this point to know, like, he doesn't take frivolous jobs. Like, every job no, he does he is, is obviously to help someone because Michael is a, a good Merkin boy. But Who doesn't want to work <laughs> unless he absolutely has to. Once again, Madeline as a character does not make sense. She also says that loving Michael is like trench warfare. That will come back later. Wild. We'll get there. So Sam brings Santora to this condemned warehouse where he has Michael as Shep waiting for him. Sam goes over the rules to Santora. He can look, but he cannot touch. Like if, because Sam still has to bring Shep into the uh, the police station. And if it looks like he's been roughed up too much, he's going to have to explain what's going on. He doesn't want to explain shit to his superiors. So you can ask him all you want, but Sam is the only one who gets to beat him up. So they go in and... Michael basically does a cold read on Santora to, like, nudge him into asking the right questions and giving the right info. By, like, looking at how he reacts, he kind of figures out that, like, oh, I met this guy at a diner. Like, restaurant, diner? Diner? Okay, diner. Wait, 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 wait. So, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. We have to talk about the diner. But I will say, reverse interrogation is kind of a fun concept. And, like, as dumb as this particular certain circumstance was, kind of, uh, and it wasn't executed well, the idea that they interrogate him while being interrogated, like, you know, that classic Avengers line cool with Black Widow, like, that's fun. I think it's an interesting concept. I think they do it badly. The thing about the diner, he pulls the diner and they act like it's some big get that they get one diner name out of him. But the diner has nothing to do with the kidnapping. It just happens to be where they have him send one of his goons so Fiona can pick up the trail. But in the moment where he's like, what diner? Is it the Sunshine Diner or whatever the hell it's called? They act like they've gotten information. But nothing about the diner is relevant to his kidnapping. I mean, theoretically, here's what I assume that, like, maybe they have done plans at this diner. Or, like, the point is, though, that, like... The diner is important to him. They learned that this particular diner is important to him. Do they? He just says Yeah, well, it. he's the one he's the one who says Seaside Diner. Right, but it ultimately like it doesn't seem like it actually matters. I don't know. It just like, like again, the, I the will fact say, that this nothing is a, not, This is a badly written episode. But like <laughs> 
that's not in the implication is that like that diner is important to him and that's why he says is it the seaside diner but that doesn't carry through at all like the only thing it ends up being important to is like our guys who have no connection to this diner whatsoever but like he he cares about the diner enough to send someone to that diner no that's fair but they don't ever actually like explain why it was important to him it just it feels no, it they felt don't. weird it like it was dropped it, yeah i Again, hear what you're saying this, they did it bad none of this is well done because like this is a really subtle thing that they're doing that they have to do very quickly i mean yeah they only have one day <laughs> yeah and so like they have to really do some ham-fisted fortune teller shit to get this idea it's really dumb that he says the name of the diner he seems really stupid for saying it yeah he plays it really well because he's a great actor. But yeah, this, yes. this guy's a big old ding-dong. He's a big old ding-dong. The wrong kind. But Michael pretends that he met a guy at the Seaside Diner who is going to rip Santora off. And this guy goes by the name of Flowers. Oh, also another thing about this. I want to talk about Shep for a second. Because I like Shep. You like Shep? I like Shep. But one of the things about Shep, you know who Shep reminds me of? What very... it's. A weirdly very specific thing. Okay, who? I forget. Do you watch, like, Dimension 20? Uh, yes. Did you watch the Tiny Heist one? Yes, of That's course. the only one. I've seen, I'm re-watching Dimension 20 Fantasy High. I'm going I'm to start watching that. Yes! Like, oh, Chris, you're going to love it. Please text me when you get to the end of episode two of Fantasy High. Please. Shep, I'm begging you. Like, the voice that Michael is doing for Shep is every bad guy voice that Brennan Lee Mulligan does in Tiny Heist. <laughs> It's it kind of is just like uncanny. vaguely like dirtbag. Like, go back and watch it. Like, I swear it's exactly the same. Like That tracks for me. Oh, God, I love Brennan Lee Mulligan. I was on an airplane with him once, and I almost had a panic attack. I was so excited. Everyone should go watch that. It's really fun. But, like, it's so, like, uncanny how, like, his informant voice is just Brennan Lee Mulligan's voice. Exactly. And, like... Brennan Lee Mulligan is really good at, like, pitching stuff kind of broadly. So it's, like, a broad voice. Like, it's such a, like, character. It's And it's so wild that Santora thinks that he exists in the same universe as Shep. <laughs> I love that for him. Anyway, Santora's like, oh, Seaside Diner, I should send a guy there. So he sends a guy there. And Sam calls Fee to also go to the Seaside Diner, and maybe she can follow that guy. And while Sam steps out to call Fee to do this, Centaur tries to cut Michael's ear off. But, like, Sam shows up at the last second and is like, don't cut his ear off. Yeah, the whole conceit of this is that, like, he is gonna, he's just taking a detour to the station, but the but dirty cop Tuck Finley is gonna bring in Brennan Lee Mulligan. Yeah. But he's giving this guy a chance to go at him first before he takes him in. And so if this guy hurts him too bad, he's going to have to explain that to his bosses. And he doesn't want that. So, like, that's how they're keeping Michael safe during this interaction. Uh, And the other guy seems very much to not care (laughs) about this situation. He does not not care all that much. Um, Mm -mm. This I want to point out, again, this morning, Michael was walking out of the drunk tank. All of this has happened. In the same day. It's the same sunlight. Has he gotten to take a shower yet? Because, like, he got taken into the drunk tank while after he had gone for a run. 
and was like all sweaty and gross. Did they at least let him he, get to I think home he and take may a shower? Taken a, they probably took a shower before they met Patricia. Second question. Have we ever seen the bathroom in the loft? I don't think there is one. I think he pisses and shits out a window. <laughs> then where does he shower? We know that multiple people have stayed at Michael's loft and showered there. That's fair. You got to go to the club. <laughs> where in the loft is the bathroom? I've never seen it. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I will say we do see, finally see more people in front of the like warehouse club outside of the loft in this episode. There's like a moment when the detective is coming to talk to Michael and we see like women in line just past yeah. his like front door, which I was like, oh, good detail because we haven't seen anyone at the club for a long time. I think sometimes we see that. Not always, but sometimes because usually people are coming during the day. That's true. And, like, yeah, I think sometimes, not always, but when it's at night, they throw a couple extras there when they remember to. But I've seen it before. Anyway, so Fee tells uh, Howard and Patricia that she's got a lead on Brandon. She's going to go follow this guy that's going to the seaside diner. And Howard wants to come along and help because he is the noblest best man. (laughs) And then Fee says a line that I actually genuinely like, which is, Getting yourself shot sounds noble until it actually happens to you. Don't volunteer for it unless it's absolutely necessary. I liked that line. Then then she basically implies that the only reason they broke up is because they were at the same job and they worked together and that's bad for couples. (laughs) Yeah, that That was couples shouldn't work together. And it's some sort of weird parallel between her and Michael. But like now that they're worried about the fact that their son could die, they're hugging each other. So really they love each other. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, isn't yeah, isn't that moment isn't where like family hug? important? Yeah, like hey, like, no matter what else happens, th- remember this moment. Like, why? Yeah, they share a child. Of course, they're both upset. That doesn't mean they should be together. That doesn't mean that's a good environment for this child to grow up in. A father who works eighty hours a week and doesn't cut his grass, and the mom who thinks that one of those things is bad and that the other thing is mostly fine. If he could take care of the other she thing. Hates- she hates that he has this job that he works at and also wants to assault everyone. <laughs> this poor poor Brandon is going to like sneak out one night and she's going to waterboard him. This this family is wild. This family is wild, but it's important that they stay together. Anyway, so Santora gets real pissed and he really wants to hurt Michael. And in his anger, Michael and Sam get him to admit that Whatever house that he's at, Brandon, Brandon is in a shed behind that house. He is in a shed behind a house. We don't know where the house is, but he's in a shed behind it. And so that's information. Meanwhile, at the diner, um, Fee sees Santora's guy and takes a picture of him. His name is Jimmy. And he sends the picture of Jimmy to Sam. Then she tails Sam until, like, she's too conspicuous and she can't tail him anymore. But she knows that he's on hibiscus island which i don't know if that's real it sounds fake but everything about florida sounds fake (laughs) so maybe it's real maybe it's not island in miami beach florida there we are there's a star Um, island a palm island and a hibiscus island it's a 70 acres large it looks man-made because it's like remarkably like cylindrical oh it's one of those like, yeah. it's, it's shaped like a pill, like a long pill. All right. But so he's, yeah. Fee can't tell him anymore. 
knows what island he's on and sends Sam a picture. Mm-hmm. And at of this point, guy. Santora does not believe Michael anymore. Santora's like, this all sounds like bullshit. <laughs> this guy seems to know nothing other than the fact that there's a kid involved and maybe a diner. <laughs> this is bullshit. You're bullshit. You're bullshit. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And I'm going to um, kill this guy on my way out. Yeah. And, the, and then Sam's like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe it's not Maybe it's not bullshit. Oh, part of the reason that Santora thinks it's bullshit is that no one at the diner has heard of flowers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. I'm skipping No ahead. one has heard of flowers at this diner, according to Jimmy. And then Sam goes, well, hey, maybe what if one of your own guys is lying? And then so Santora asks Shep, like... Can you describe the guy who told you about this shit? And then... And Michael has been saying, no, I don't remember. He's a guy for a really long time. Yeah, all I remember is he's a white guy. Because, again, he's trying to do a cold read. So Santora asks him about the guy one last time. And then Sam, through sneaky charades, gets Michael to describe Jimmy based on the picture that Fee sent him. And Santora's like, that's Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, all it is is it's like... It's slicked back hair, yeah, and it's um, muscle shirts, and that's it. That's all he needs. That's all he needs. Well, but it too is that like at no point does he notice Sam doing this. Well, he's Sam behind. Like, he's doing sneaky charades, Chris. You said it yourself. He's sneaky charades. Sam is like one foot behind that. <laughs> he's so close. He must feel like he's the wind. So in his hair. close, like doing just like full on goofy charades. But it's deadly serious. Also, he has a picture on his phone. He couldn't, like, hold the phone up See, to Michael I thought that or was put what it he behind was going his back. Do. Yeah, me too. But in, his, in their defense, like, it's a small phone. It's like a – it's 2009. It's not even, like, a iPhone yet. And, like, that picture would have been hella small. Well, but, but like, it, he didn't have to do it from behind him. Like, what I'm thinking is – um, because the guy was on the phone for a little bit when, when Bruce Campbell came over to Michael and was like, hey, be cool. I'm about to do a thing. Oh, and yeah. The, the, you could have the... just showed him his phone then. Yeah, you're yes, right. exactly. You're right. <laughs> Ugh, these absolute buffoons. And I'm specifically so, talking about Alfredo Barrios Jr. and Matt Nix, to be clear. Yes. Satora now believes fervently with his whole heart <laughs> that Jimmy is going to betray him. <laughs> that Jimmy already has. And so he decides it's cleanup time and everyone has to die, including Michael as Chep. Sam maybe gets a pass, but like Jimmy's got to die. Kids got to die. Shep got to die. Everyone got to die. And so he's going to go back into like the warehouse and kill Michael. And Sam's like, hey, 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 don't kill him. Or like, okay, yeah, I get it. You got to kill him. But here... Use my gun and don't do it in there. Do it outside and make it look like he ran away trying to evade arrest. And what this does is it allows them to take untie Michael and take him outside wherein he can use spy foo and steal the gun. Because mm-hmm. nobody would believe that Shep, of all people, could, you know, steal a gun and get away. He's incompetent. No, he's, he's Shep. Yes, Exactly. Um, we all know Shep. He couldn't do that. He's not like a salt of the earth man like Howard. 
with ice in his veins. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have righteous anger burning through his veins. Yeah. And yeah, so Michael steals Sam's own gun back and Santora's keys and steals Santora's car. At which point, Sam, playing the part of the dirty cop, is like, that guy's got my gun. We have to get him. Or <laughs> we're all done for because I need my gun back because I'm a dirty cop and, like, they'll find out I'm a dirty cop. And Sam asks Santora, where is the house? He's probably going to the house. Give me the address of the house. Don't think. Just do it. And he gets the address. He calls Fee and tells Fee or calls no, Michael. No, he calls Michael, who then calls Fee. It's and then like Michael a little, calls a fun Fee. fun game of phone tag. Yeah. And... Michael and Fee go to the house and then, like, take take Brandon out of the shed without anyone noticing because they're all so busy watching TV. Yeah, it's this very funny moment of it's like, hey, so we know this seems convenient, but it's actually a pretty common thing. Yeah. Um, and lucky it worked out for us because we only have four hours left in the day. Exactly. But yeah, so Fee and Michael get Brandon and leave and then Sam... And then Sam and Santora arrive at the house yes. with the kid now missing. Sam says, I'm going to stay outside. No, no, you Sam says, you know, Sam says, I'll go around. I'll take the front. You go around back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so. So Santora goes around back, finds Jimmy and Jimmy's friend who doesn't get a name, pulls a gun on him and says, you're trying to rip me off. Jimmy pulls a gun and says, I didn't try to rip you off. Don't point a gun at me. The third guy says, I just want to be involved, and he pulls out a gun. And they're all pointing guns at each other and shouting. Meanwhile, Sam, who has another gun, is standing outside, and the voiceover says that when people are arguing with guns, that anything can set them off. At which point, Sam shoots a gun into the ground, puts off a shot, and then all the guys hearing the gunshot just, like, shoot each other. It's unclear if all of them are dead. (laughs) <laughs> or if just Santora is dead, or if like two of them are dead, or whatever. Well, but Sam that seems very gleefully cold blooded. Yeah. So a couple of things about this. So first of all, I do buy that the hearing that hearing a gunshot in that tense of a situation where they're all screaming. Oh no, at yeah, each other I, buy that. I, I buy that. I buy it. that. The second thing though is that, and this is also a very Barrios thing, is just like because we know these guys are bad guys who stole a kid and who are also lazy and bad at their jobs, they deserve to die. And so Sam having oh, a gleeful little giggle at watching them all kill each other. Yeah, no, like, Sam says something like, you get what you deserve, exactly. son of a bitch, or something. Like, because be- oh, what was in. the line from last season, from that Barrios line, like, that bad guys are stupid and lazy or whatever? Exactly, it's that <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly. It's fine that they're dead. It's good that they kill each other. It's good that Sam caused it to happen. It's funny that we're really getting to know these writers through doing this show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, but yeah, it is... The most cold-blooded thing since they blew up that woman. Yeah, it's true. Since they had an old oh. man blow up that woman while Michael watched her from a window across the street. Exactly. Fuck. Oh, my God. Anyway, now, the nice, good family is reunited. Completely, of course. Because the couple is no longer fighting because divorce is bad. They now all love each other. The family is restored. As far as I can tell... This is the same day. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no moment where they would have broken. No. I as far, They have brought the kid to the family. This is the same day. 
So this morning, this very morning, Michael was walking out of the drunk tank. And presumably hadn't slept all night because they kept like randomly questioning him. So he's been up for like 48 hours at this point and has gotten the shit kicked out of him. Okay, because his day and his day is far from done. (laughs) Yeah, because he's got a potty to go to. Uh, And more. Okay, so the couple is now happy together. And Michael encourages them to get out of town. And then uh, Patricia says they're going to make a fresh start together. And then Fee repeats that to Michael. Like, fresh start together, huh? And then hint, hint. But then he seems to not get the hint. But then he says, we have a date. And Fee is happy again. But then he finishes that sentence with, it's a date with a storage unit. And what is this? Where are Michael and Fee emotionally right now? Are they dating? Are they not dating? They kind of wanted to fuck at the beginning of the episode, but, like, now he seems oblivious. Have we just reset to the beginning of the show where he is just a workman and she is a fuck woman and they don't? But aren't they, aren't they, like, they were fucking for a while. Where yeah, were they at yeah, the end of last they, season? Yeah, weren't they boning? And then, that like, she left and then Michael was like, you left, but I brought you a bagel or whatever. And she's like, yeah, well, maybe next time I'll save her breakfast. Yeah, he was super into it for a while. And then did that stop? Yeah, that's what not happened? explained. It's not at all. But now they're like at square one again. Where it's like, I, she's like, yeah, I it, well, love it's him. It's hard but- because so at the end of season one, they had like a moment where like he was going off. They didn't know for how long. It turned out like 18 hours. Um, and like they had like a very tearful goodbye. The end of season two, they couldn't really do that because Victor was there kind of cock blocking them. So like yeah. she had they had like this kind of sweet moment where they kissed and then she slaps him. But they couldn't really have an emotional moment because like Victor was there and like being emotionally vulnerable with your girlfriend is gay dudes. And then we never really resolved that. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and I have then, no idea where now they are. He seems oblivious again. But also, it really did seem like they wanted to fuck it. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to it's, track. I think that I don't think that the obliviousness is what gives me pause in terms of not knowing where this where their relationship is right now. Because Michael is oblivious unless he is also looking for it. Like if it's a moment that he does not explicitly read as sexual. He is oblivious. It, it's this like, is true. It's, he's a very selfish man. And he is like, he's only in it when he's in it. But every other time it's like, no, this is business time. Yeah. And so he's at business time right now. But like now she's back in this like, oh, I want him. But it's sort of vague. It's like, what was any of this? Anyway, that night. And again, this feels like the same night. Because it is. Because she called him earlier that day to say, hey, come over for your birthday. Yes. This is what I'm saying. She was cooking earlier in the day. ends with a birthday party. And this happens before the birthday party. So this is also happening on the same night. It is night now. Michael and Fee and Sam have gotten a hold of a big, like, moving van. Big, not even moving, like a big truck. They're driving it. They drive it into the storage unit. And, like, the cops don't notice because it's like, that's ah, a truck. And they get around to the back of behind his unit itself and cut it open using a water saw. And they take the C4 out that way. And so they get the C4 out of the, like, out of the storage unit. It seems right now, based on the, like, the way it looks outside, to be at least 8 or 9 o'clock. Yeah, it's, like, dark. It's it fully is dark. dark. They leave. They leave the storage unit. 
And then I guess they stash the C4 somewhere. I don't know where. Then they go back to the apartment. They're at the apartment. And then we have the scene you were talking about earlier where Detective Paxson shows up. And she says, I looked in your storage unit and it was empty and there was a hole in the back. But like, I'm still on to you. Like, yeah, who's processing search warrants after 9 p.m. multiple days what is going after on? Like, it's been ordered? But like, and so, like, she got the search warrant after, after they did, <laughs> after they did the thing. But like, but then had enough time to go and look at it, and then come back to his apartment, and they're there, and they seem like they have been at his apartment for a little bit, right? They're they're. they're is this the scene where they're eating yogurts, or had they eaten yogurts earlier? I mean, we, they were. I don't we, know. I do I think need they an accurate here. I need to go back and check. But the, it seems like they're hanging out in the apartment. Yeah, it does. It does feel like they're just chilling and like it waiting like chilling for in the apartment. Then she shows up. It seems like this is the same night. It feels like, and then this I'm less sure about. And then after this, it's the birthday party. Where they... Now, it could have been that they moved the birthday party, but they made a big point of saying he has to go to the birthday party. This yeah. is the birthday dinner that's happening at midnight at least. <laughs> it's true. This timeline is fucking okay, but so we, I have to talk about this scene. So all oh, yeah, we cut yeah, from like, we cut, we cut, we cut from like Paxson saying, I'm keeping my eye on you. And he's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Then we end on a scene in which the Burn Notice crew are replaced by aliens. <laughs> Everyone in this scene is acting so goddamn weird. <laughs> it is a truly wild scene. It is a buck wild Jeffrey scene. Jeffrey Donovan has a demented smile on his face throughout the scene. <laughs> the entire time he has this hellish smile mask this death mask of an expression. We watch a piece of cake get passed to him in what seems like longer than real time. (laughs) It goes so slow. He eats it incredibly slowly with an inhuman expression. The implication is that the cake is bad because Madeline made it herself. Because she doesn't cook, because we know she doesn't use her broiler, because that's where Michael exactly. stores, like, important documents. Yeah. But are we supposed to think that the cake looks bad? Is that why he's I think we're just supposed to take, like, we know that she made it, and so, so they're all slowly, nervous. and so, like, he is so reticent. But it doesn't even feel like there's a reticence. It looks like he's just eating a cake incredibly slowly. Well, he's very tired, Chris. He's had a long day. But, like, with this like expression on his face that is no emotion that humans have. It doesn't look like a bad cake. It looks fine. It's not hard to make cake. No, then but this... some people are extremely incompetent. And as we've determined, Madeline is apparently one of them sometimes at complete. Rate. Then we have this weird bit where Sam gives Michael some nice beer, but he's already stolen one of the beers out of the beer, the six pack, but then is acting like he isn't. These two men, who only hours ago were so effective in the understanding of and manipulation of human nature that they sent a man to his death, are acting like alien children now. They're all kind of like punch like, drunk. Like, in a ha- like he's in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. He just wants his sandwich. Like It's like that level of motivation. 
So it's like he man. They're he all like very the tired. They're very loopy. They're very in my parlance shoepocalypse. I might even add. <sighs> they are. Then Madeline and Sam leave. Very obviously, wants Madeline. Matt, yeah, Madeline's like we. Let me get you a beer opener in the kitchen. And Sam's like, oh, no worries. I got one of my keychains. Never leave home without it, huh? And she's like, no, you have to use the one in the kitchen. Yeah, and so they leave. And then Fee gives Michael her present to him, which is a World War I bayonet. Well, no, but before it, she hands him this very large box. It's so large. It's so huge. And Michael does this very funny thing where he very slowly opens the top and kind of flinches like he thinks it's going to explode. And then he does it and he looks so delighted. And she like looks at him like, yeah, it didn't explode, right? (laughs) I will say, I did not get that because he does not have a normal face this entire goddamn scene. (laughs) See, I did notice that. I thought it was cute. I the whole time he just seems demented. <laughs> like the entire scene. Like I cannot read any emotion on his face because none of it seems like an emotion that humans have. And anyway, I mean, so he opens how up How is that different from normal? Well, normally he has no emotion. <laughs> Whereas this is clearly supposed to be it's an too emotion. Too many emotions. But it's not any human emotion. <laughs> so he opens it up. Like, yeah, he goes he goes on an incredible face journey opening up that I cannot follow. <laughs> and it's a bayonet. He opens it up. It is a World War One bayonet. And Fee says it's because someone told her that caring about him is like trench warfare. And Remember the thing that Madeline armed. said like 10 minutes ago? <laughs> well, no, like, well, like 10 minutes in showtime. Yes. But I'm just saying, like, it's not like a thing that's been built up over time. Also, no, it's not. And like, it's not a thing that he was there for at all. So it's not like he gets the reference. Yeah, it's like me getting you an inside joke present from. Yeah, no, it's not. It's an inside joke between her and Madeline. Yeah, exactly. You know who? She should have made Madeline stay. She's the one who's gonna laugh at it. Not him. He's just confused. So you know what this m- reminds me of? It reminds me of the episode that was Fee's birthday, and it was the the episode where yeah. the, like Ding Dong Nick uh, pretended to be rich, and his girlfriend got kidnapped. And earlier in the episode, she was like admiring Nick's employer's fancy guns, and had mentioned it to both Nick and Michael. And then later on, Michael presents her with the gun that she had so admired yeah. after like all these jokes about like what is he going to get her for her birthday? But that was a an episode where, despite it not being a okay. great episode, was built into like it, th- there was motivation yes. behind the gift. It was between the two characters who were the in the end the exchangers of the gifts. Um, and it, it felt more in character because Fee's the one that like loves weapons. Michael doesn't seem like a person who likes. I mean, okay, he's a boring. White he doesn't man. like of anything. Course, of course, he, he likes loves World yogurt, War and that is it. But like, to be fair though, I do think a thing that's happening in this scene is that my, they're getting Michael gifts that have more to do about them than him. Like, but here's my question: When did she get the bayonet? <laughs> She's because, been planning it forever because she clearly wasn't surprised it was his birthday, as we established. No, but here's the thing. Even if she knew it was his birthday, the trench warfare conversation happened this day. That's a really good point, Chris. When the fuck did like, she get this gun? When? No, it's not even a gun. It's just a bayonet. That's true. It's, yeah, it's like a sword. 
when at what time between now it is possible it's never made totally clear that this is the same day but like madeline was all about it's gotta happen he's gotta come to his birthday and it's his birthday so it'd be weird if we didn't mention that this is a different day so i can only assume this is the same day when did he get the when did she get the bayonet when it forget when where fucking sam got his monk beer from like where did she get a world war one bayonet in a not even a day when when did she have time to do it was it like did Maybe she go she by the bayonet on her i like to think that fee just has like a collection of weapons was it that was it when was it when like Michael and Sam were going and getting the water saw, which they got that? No, in, it's like, a it few was hours? when when it was when Sam was going to get the special germ uh, monk beer. Like Sam peeled off to go get the monk beer, Fiona peeled off to go get the bayonet, and Michael, I guess, just like walked alone to his mom's house. <laughs> like Michael took a nap wild. because it's been a long day. <laughs> And then they picked him up, and he's like, what's with that giant package in the back? Don't worry about it. Fucking Sam, are you wild. drinking a beer? Don't worry about it. Wild scene, wild episode. Like, this is the thing about this episode, is that when it starts, it felt, like, so by the numbers. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in the last 15 minutes, it goes <laughs> off the rails so goes off the rails it's like he was writing this in like a fevered night it feel both of these episodes that we watched last week and this week feel like fever dream episodes uh, they do it's <laughs> wild where did she get the bayonet i don't where know where did she get it <laughs> wait is it one night wait why did it like the the warrant got processed between the time Oh my god! I don't know. I can't explain it, Chris. How long? Like how? It's what? What is what is Fee and Michael steal? What is it? What does the bayonet mean? What does any of it mean? It means that loving him is like trench warfare. <laughs> trench. Oh god. Anyway, I can't think about this anymore. Let's talk about spy tips. Yes, please, God. In the field, it's often your human instincts that jeopardize an operation. Helping people is great, but there are times when that impulse can get people killed. Sometimes the right thing to do is let a guy bleed for a while. So here's the thing. I actually think that this one I'm okay with because the idea of the other one makes sense to me. That if you beat up a guy a little bit, you see if his friends are nearby and will come help him. And so the safest thing to do, because they know that they need this guy alive, is to let him get thrown around a little bit and just hope he keeps his shit together. Um, so I like that. The idea that it's because cops have to come running if somebody is getting hurt. Like, that yeah. was bullshit. But this, as a concept, I find to be a much more I'm interesting okay with thing. It, yeah. In the criminal world, selling yourself as a colleague often means doing something illegal. So when so while snorting lactose isn't pleasant, it may put people's mind at ease. And again, the useful thing here is the snorting you lactose. can snort lactose. Yeah, no, no, I, I I'll give you this one. When people are desperate for information, they start filling in the blanks, often without realizing it. It's something fortune tellers rely on. It works pretty much the same way for spies, although fortune tellers usually don't get smacked around as much. Now, obviously, this is just cold reading. 
Yeah. He's like, hey, cold reading is cold reading is a useful thing to know. Yeah, but I feel like that's not enough information about how to do cold reading. Like, there are episodes I mean, we get a little bit more of that in the episode, although I agree, like, not a ton. Yeah, because I like when they did this on Psych, like, and and when Psych does cold readings, like, we actually get to see the thought process and we start to understand like how they put information together, or like The Mentalist, which is a show about a guy who does cold readings, like, and yeah. was a fake psychic for a long time. Oh, so yeah, you mean not Psych? <laughs> yeah, I mean not Psych, the serious Psych. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, they, I don't feel like that was enough information. It basically was just like, I hey, agree. cold reading exists. Yeah. I would love to know about how to do cold Fuck reading. I am not it. nearly like confident enough to do a cold read on people. Like I feel like I I'm I'm pretty good at reading people, but I would love to be like trained in cold reading. I feel like that would be so useful. My thing about it is that I am never confident enough in my guess or my lie. Yes, exactly. To lie. I'm a bad liar. Like because I need to be able to believe the lie or like i'm always afraid that if i say a lie i'm gonna get tripped up in the lie well see that's why learning about cold reading would be useful and like learning the parameters and like because i'm sure there's like two or three specific things that you can get like base information out of but i think the thing the thing that goes on with me is that i'm not good at like thinking on my feet because i'm like worried Uh, about stuff yeah i'm very good at that and i feel like if i knew what to ask i would be an excellent cold reader you would exactly whereas the thing is that like if, like, I was, if I was a fortune teller, I'd be like, oh, it's like, your mother has passed recently. I'd be like, no, she's still alive. I'd be like, oh, oh, never mind. Oh, I'll go away now. <laughs> like, that's how I, like, I'd be like, I wouldn't be able to do that thing where they go, oh, not mother, grandmother. No, you should like, just. Oh, yes, my grandmother's dead. No, what you, should, like, oh, what you yes. should say at that point, Chris, is you look at them dead in the eyes and go, are you sure? <laughs> but like I'm not I don't have that sort of like easy confidence to No, you don't just... have easy confidence, you don't have hard confidence. No. I think it's safe to say you just don't have confidence. Agreed. I definitely have confidence that that was a bad tip. You're uh, you, you know what you should be confident about, Chris? Your segues. That what? was excellent. Well, wow, we've uh, we're right. only at two so far. We've been deleting all sorts of stuff. Yeah. This is what I'm saying is that there's a whole bunch of tips that were borderline. It's always best to have business arguments unarmed. When tempers are high and everyone's got a gun, you never know what's going to set someone off. And I'm coupling this with, like, the visual of what happens in the episode. (laughs) With the visual of Sam shooting into the grass and they all shoot each other as a result. Yes. This is not a good tip. I agree. (laughs) We've whittled down your list of 12 to a list of three. And even if this this final one that we haven't read yet goes, that is not enough fucking spy tips, Alfredo. It is not. This episode is a lot. This episode is a lot. (laughs) And, okay. Well, no, this this one has specific stuff. When a front door is being watched, your best option oftentimes is to just take a back door. If you don't mind getting damp, a water saw is a great tool for the job. It will cut through the wall much more quietly than a metal saw and won't ignite anything flammable that happens to be lying around. Yeah, this is useful. I'll give him that. And it's, all, and it's also one of those tips that starts off with the most vague thing ever. And it's like, also, you should buy this piece of equipment. This isn't a little grocery list tip. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, and you did read it wrong because you said take a back door. It's make a back door. Like the idea being oh, if I there's one entrance right. and they're watching it, make another entrance. And like if that's right. not great tip, but like in combination with the water thing is fine. With the water saw, yeah. All right. That's four tips. That's so it No, it's not even four. Tips. It's three tips, Chris. That's three tips. Oh, shit. It's three tips. Yeah. It failed on spy tips so bad. That's the worst it's, I think any have ever spy, like failed. I think the least number of spy tips that we have allowed through is like four. Yeah. Well, I mean, we say five is enough. So like if this is the worst one, then the only other option is four. Well, fair. But I mean, like we've had a couple that failed at four, but I think four, this is yeah. our first three. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree that. I yeah, think you that. agree that this is a real thing that has happened. Yes. Um, so it fails there. Um, what else? Spycraft over violence. Does this episode do that? Yeah, because they do like interrogation and cold reading and like trick him into sending a goon out and Fiona takes a picture and follows him in her car. Yeah. It resolves in violence, but the case isn't solved. But there is with some it. spycraft. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. And like. Both of them get to be characters. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of being characters, <laughs> alias. Is this a distinct alias? What's his name again? What's this guy's name? Shep. Shep. Yeah, I think Shep's a distinct alias. Shep was fun. I like Shep. If I was watching Dimension 20, I'd be like, good job, Brennan Lee Mulligan. <laughs> God, Brennan Lee Mulligan is like the love of my life. Oh, my God. So that one, it passes for that. All right. Now, are Fee and Sam used well? What does Fee do in this episode other than produce a bayonet out of nowhere? Well, at one point, Fee goes to tell Madeline that Michael can't go to a birthday party. (laughs) And then Madeline says, he's coming to the birthday party. And Fiona goes, okay. Yeah. Um, No, Uh, I don't think this is a great She gets a little horny about bounty hunting, but that's not really anything. Yeah. It's and like a scene. It's like half a scene. She does she does tell a woman to envision murdering a man. That's true. That was fun. And we also get to see her throw knives really well. Like at one at the end that of is, the bud scene, she like very threateningly, like, the like bud without scene even was looking, nice. throws a but knife. It's like at the very beginning. I don't yeah. think it's enough. Those are two scenes though. Uh. <laughs> two whole scenes with a woman. Is it enough? <laughs> Uh, no, you're right. I don't think that that's enough. Like, because they're two totally isolated incidents. Like, I feel like you need at least three solid scenes or one amazing scene to pass yeah, this and, test. And it's not that. Yeah. I, I do think, think this not. is a good Sam episode, though. Yeah, because he gets to be Chuck Finley and he gets to beat up Michael and he gets to be a little goofy and he drinks and then the monk beer. A cold blooded motherfucker. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> He just looked oh, like God. the the amount of glee on that man's face. He's so happy to be causing those men's deaths. <laughs> so happy. Also, he does it. Yeah, he does charades at one point. That's very good. Um, and he and he's no, Chuck Finley. I, he plays Chuck Finley. He's Chuck Finley. And yeah, he snorts no, I, lactate. He did or lactose. Whatever. No, this I, is I a keep good saying sample. lactate. It's lactose. Yeah. Okay. Fire enough. Lactose. So he also he, he gives he gives Michael German, uh, Belgian beer and then steals two of them. <laughs> he does. It's yep. insane. It's wild that that scene happens in the same show that the other scenes happen. But <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's a good scene. Yeah. Or no, he's I'll, good in that. It's I'll, I'll give it to him. All right. So once this is the second episode in a row where it barely makes it, but it is, in fact, a great episode of Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. But in both cases, they got two and a half of the yeah. necessary four tenants, which is just squeaking by enough. I think this episode was better than last week's. Oh, it certainly was. It was more coherent M- despite being week. wild. But, like, I don't think it's good. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not a great episode of television. Like, I'm not even no, going to, like, joke like, around. No, it's not. It's, like, it's, uh, oh, boy. That last fucking scene, though. It's unhinged. And, like, it's so unhinged. And, like, it's still night. It's definitely night, which makes me think it's the same night. But, like, we were we just did a bunch of, like, like coolly lit outdoor scenes where everything's really blue. And so suddenly we're in this like warmly lit room and like, who knows what time it is? Who knows? It just seems to exist outside of time. And yeah, Yeah, it's, it's something. All right. We missed it. We missed the scene where everyone snorted lactate. Oh boy. Only way to make sense of it. Yeah. Sam's like, I don't want to trip on my own. You guys have to come with me. With that, there's nothing left to say but uh, to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can hear more from Vincent at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And beyond that, bye. I just got some ice cold lactose. In your veins? In my no, in my nose. I don't think it goes into your veins if it's in your nose. So if you snort like something, does it go into your veins? I think it just goes I mean, in your yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess it does. Well, I mean, is there like the end of, is it like the end of a vein is like open? It's connected to your well, nose. There's somehow? like capillaries in your nose, I would assume. So I don't think it's in your veins. I've always been super vague on the difference between veins and arteries and cap. Obviously, capillaries are the littlest ones, and yeah. you probably have capillaries in your nose. This is a really long bit at the end. Bye. Bye. Bye.